The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. When she was 25 years old, she quit her job to run across the United States. She had never run even a marathon before that point. She wanted to raise money for MS. In 2010, she became the 16th woman to run across the United States. She's the founder of America's first and only relay race across the United States called MS Run the U.S. It's raised lots and lots of money in the fight against MS. Ashley Schneider is on the Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Ashley. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, well, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Wisconsin. I'm from McQuanago. You're currently in, in, in Delafield, Wisconsin. It's true. It's um, true. You need to start a frozen custard uh, a run. Like they do the beer mile or, you know, uh, we do the White Claw mile for the Adventure Jogger. You mm-hmm. need to start in Delafield the Leduc's frozen custard mile. So the the problem with that is when you when you throw up dairy, it doesn't taste <laughs> as good as when you like throw up white claw. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that. I think that's gonna be that's gonna be maybe a poor use of my time. <laughs> <laughs> you you have other things to conquer. Let's let's get into this story, Ashley. Twenty five was was the age when you decided. I am, I'm quitting my job. I got other things to do. What were you doing at that time? Well, when the idea came to me, I was 24. Okay. It took me a year to train. So I was 24. I had just graduated with a exercise and sports science degree, and I was hired by Royal Caribbean and was traveling around the world, uh, teaching rock climbing and surfing on their cruise ships. And, uh, wow, that's a pretty interesting <laughs> job. I didn't know that was a job. Yes. Neither did I until, they were they were poking around for um, people that were graduating in the year that I was from college, and my academic advisor knew the guy that hired for the fitness program there, and so sent out an email. And then um, I applied for the job, but I had to stalk. Like it was this ongoing month to month process where I really wanted the job, and so I followed up every six weeks, like. Hey, you guys hiring yet? You hiring yet? You hiring yet? Until they finally had a spot open and I got in for an interview and then I was hired on the spot. So, okay. If you would have said like, what does an athletic person do for Royal Caribbean? I would think that maybe you help out with some injuries during the dancing portion of the Barry Manilow tribute band. That's (laughs) that the elderly are watching. Uh, I didn't know that you were teaching rock climbing for Royal Caribbean. Did, were you, were you coaching people when you'd get off the ship and you'd go find some rocks or was there a rock wall on the, on the ship? There was a 40 foot, 40 foot rock wall on the top deck of the ship and a simulated surf machine. So everything that I taught was on the ship and we did things like, you know, basketball tournaments and shuffleboard tournaments and stuff like that. But they they had the fitness center with personal trainers and massage and spa people. That was a separate group that was hired to do that I was hired for our sports deck so Ashley what is life like when you're living on a cruise ship everything is kind of 
it's not the real world. It's it's fake, right? Everything is presented how Royal Caribbean wants it to be presented. You're not really, you're kind of separate from the from the rest of the world living in this world that is this this traveling cruise ship. What was your your life like working at Royal Caribbean and, and teaching these things on cruise ships to cruise passengers? I loved every second. I was traveling, getting paid to travel. Um, the job that I took, you needed a four-year degree. So like in the rankings of their staff and all of that, it was a pretty good ranking where I could go out into the um, guest area as long as I was dressed nice and had my name tag on and didn't do anything reckless. Um, my The sports deck was open mostly when we were out at sea. So when we were in port, everything kind of shut down when it came to like recreation stuff because you want people to get off the boat. Um, so we were able to go into ports and see the world. And I absolutely loved it. You're right. It's not this real world, normal thing that a lot of people do. I'll say like the pay wasn't great. Um, for an American, the pay wasn't great. You didn't have to pay for lodging and most your, like your food's covered unless you go into port and like eat or whatever, right. uh, which we did often. But I, it was, it was a good trade-off for, you know, being 22, um, just graduating college. It was actually, so I graduated in 2007, was with the company for almost two years. So I got on the ship right before the great recession and like the housing market crash happened. So, you know, a lot of people were having, like my age, were having a hard time finding jobs or had just lost their jobs. And a lot of people lost their jobs. So um, the cruising industry ended up being really stable. And I didn't necessarily have to worry about um, about what that was like until I decided to run across America <laughs> and left the job on my own. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute, because that's a story in itself. And I think it's kind of funny. It almost mirrors, in a way, you know, Zach Miller was on a cruise ship working a cruise ship before he got into running ultras and spent a lot of his time running on the deck and, mm-hmm. and running on a treadmill. I have heard, I don't know if you witnessed this when you were working at Royal Caribbean, Ashley, but I've heard that some elderly people, they have found that it's cheaper to live on a cruise ship than it is to live in a retirement home. And there's a small group of retirees who just live on a cruise ship for their retirement because everything's provided for and it's just cheaper for them to cruise around the 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 Atlantic than it is to actually be in a retirement home. Did you ever witness anything like that? Uh, if if it was happening, I wasn't aware of it. Because so. they weren't coming up to learn how to rock climb. That's a- <laughs> right. Well, and you know, it's like I'm trying to imagine why because you'd have to like pack and unpack every every time the cruise ship, like we you clear all yeah. of even if you're even if you book back to back cruises, at least this is back when I was doing it, like 12 years ago, they, you cleared the cruise ship, you clean, like cleaned everything. Everybody had to debark. Everybody yeah. had to be counted for. And then you get back on. I'm like, that's kind of, even if it's cheaper, that sounds really cumbersome. It does. It does sound like it. I, I, I think I saw that on uh, CBS Sunday morning, that show that's on that, you know, you're mm-hmm. getting older when you enjoy that show. Like we're like, Oh, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm turning on CBS Sunday morning with Jane Pauley. Let's see what interesting things they're going to talk about. So Ashley, you're, you're living your life on this cruise ship and you decide to call it quits. What was the, what, what happened that made you go from, I'm teaching people how to rock climb to let's run across the United States. What happened? That's a good question. Uh, so I've been a recreational runner. I was doing three to five miles, uh, for as long as I could remember, I loved running in grade school and just grew up as like an athlete. 
Um, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis before I was born. So that was always something that was a part of my life. We had never as a family really fundraised or brought attention to it. It was kind of something that we created or that we managed as a family. Um, she did live with some disabilities, uh, mobility, poor fine motor skills, cognitive dysfunction. And for those listeners who don't know what MS is, it's a, um, it, it's a, autoimmune disease of the central nervous system. So the brain, the spinal cord, and the optic nerves. And where the body is attacking the central nervous system is reflective of what the symptoms look like. So some people have MS and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah. Um, they appear totally fine and normal. Uh, they can manage like pain and numbness without you knowing about it. Um, my mom, visibly, you could tell that she was dealing with something. You may not have been able to say, yeah, that's MS, but you could tell that she was you know, disabled and all of that. So anyways, grew up uh, experiencing that. And um, the ship I was on was the brandest brand new ship on the, on the seas. And you weren't we were stuck in, in the old pile of crap. You were, on, no. <laughs> you were on the luxury one. This had, I was on the luxury one. This had it two was stages awesome. for Barry Manilow shows and <laughs> a rock climbing wall. Yes, it was amazing. And I actually, I picked it up in Norway when it was just done getting built. So it was brand new, like nobody had slept in the beds, nobody, all of the stuff. So I was over in Europe yeah, and uh, we were ported out of Southampton, England. Mm -hmm. And on this specific cruise, we were down in Barcelona. We would go around the Mediterranean to Rome and back. And so we were porting in Barcelona and I was running on the treadmill one morning and just fueled by endorphins. And, you know, the kind of things that were being layered in, I was traveling around the world with a lot of people that weren't American that talked about how great America was and what have you seen there? And, um, like this amazing, huge land that we have with all of this stuff here, uh, in terms of places we could go and tour. And I hadn't spent a lot of time touring the U S. And so I was thinking about like, where would I go in the U S if I were to see the U S the way that I'm seeing the country, the, the world right now on foot getting off in port and running and seeing how beautiful Barcelona is while running through it. Um, so that kind of concept was there. And during this specific run, it kind of morphed into where I would see in the U S running between these cities would be, you know, a, a economical way to do it. And, and then it kind of went into this, I could run across America. I didn't even know how many miles it was. I hadn't run a marathon like you had mentioned. And so it was just this kind of like, Oh, I'm 22 and I don't have an apartment to pay for. And my bills are already really low. I could go home and run across America. And when I thought of running across the country and doing something like that, thought of my mom doing it for MS. And that's when everything in my life converged into this epiphany moment where I realized this is what I was made to do. I need to go home and do it. This is what, what, what defines you as an ultra runner, Ashley, because the normal person who had had that idea after a five mile run, like, oh, well, I could run across the United States and see it on foot. <laughs> they would dismiss it as quickly <laughs> as it popped up. Right. But you decide, okay, this, this is going to happen. Did you kick it around for a while? When did you cement that okay, this is not just something that, uh, you know, is just kicking around in my noodle. This is something I'm actually going to do. I would say in my heart, it was like, I'm going to do this. Um, but I knew enough that I needed to test my body physically. And the way that I conceptualized it was if I could run five miles, then I could run five miles and take a break for an hour and run another five miles and take a break for an hour and run another five miles. So you do that five times throughout a day. If you don't have to work or do anything else, 
you know, that seemed totally doable to me, um, even in that moment, having never run a marathon. And so for a couple weeks, I immediately ramped up my miles on the cruise ship, went from running three to five miles to 13 to 15 uh, every day for about a couple mm -hmm. weeks. And I felt sore at the end of those weeks, but I felt strong. And that is when I knew, given enough time in training, that I could do this. And I submitted my leave from the position. Wow. And then the planning begins. The logistics yeah. <laughs> of, of, of going across the country on foot and you're starting to do the research, you calculate the miles. What happened when you finally Googled how many miles across the United <laughs> States, Ashley? I, I said, oh, that'd take me about six months. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> uh, I'm very much like a, a leap first and build your wings on the way down, especially when I feel, um, for me too, I have a strong faith. And so it was, it was this epiphany of this is what I am just made for. And I didn't think turning my back on that was a good idea. And so. Okay. So you step forward into it, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. What did your family and friends think when you told them, okay, listen, I know I've been running like three to five miles a day on the cruise ship just to kind of pass the time, but I'm going to run across the United States and I'm going to do it to raise money for what my mom is, is, is battling. So I didn't tell my parents why I quit before I got home. So I let them know I'm leaving this job. I'll be home shortly. I'll tell you why when I get there. Um, so my parents were curious at first, but then once I started talking with them about my dad would ask questions about the logistics and how do you, you know, where do you plan on sleeping? And I said, well, I'll do it for charity. So someone's going to borrow me a motorhome. Well, how are you going to pay for gas and food? Well, I'm doing it for charity. So we'll find a sponsor for that. Right. Like there was these, the general overarching concept was there. And also my parents were very much like, um, they just, they, they felt that, and they kind of instilled it in us growing up. I have two sisters and a brother. It was just this, like, not anything is possible in this ridiculous sense of like, jump off your roof and you can fly type of yeah, thing. But yeah. like, it was like, if you have something in your mind that you want to go for, they were going to support it. Um, especially if there were these workings of, um, how, you know, how the plan would come together in okay. place. And so talking with them about it and they had seen me be a runner. Um, I wasn't the best runner in, in high school in terms of like my region, I wasn't finishing number one, but I had skill and I had an at, I was an athlete and they, yeah. you know, the desire was there. I think part of it too, I'm a parent now. So I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and. Oh my God. Good heavens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that's but, exhausting in itself that may be more exhausting than running across the united states that's an ultra marathon for sure <laughs> um but having my own children now like they are who they are when they're born you know so it's you get the sense of you don't know everything about them but you get the sense of who this human being is that is now a part of your family so i think by the time i was 24 and home and like, mom, I'm going to run across America. Dad, I'm going to run across America. It was uh, layered into the sense of they already knew this thing about me, right. whatever, you know, whatever you can name that thing. There was always this, there was already this sense about me that I would be, if I set my mind to something, I would be capable of achieving it. And that I had uh, a strong desire for fitness and athletics. You know, it's funny you mentioned about, you know, your parent and you see that your children are 
who they are. And I remember when uh, you know I was younger before we had kids and my wife and I we have three. They're they're teenagers now, but I remember thinking to myself like, "Oh, the, the way that my children will turn out to be will be dependent on the skills that I have as a parent." <laughs> right? Yeah. And you see you see uh parents dealing with kids screaming at the store or having a a, a fit and you just go, "My kids will never do that." because I'm going to be an awesome parent. And then the universe slaps you hardly across the face when you have kids and you realize, oh, oh, okay, they're already who they are. When they, mm-hmm. when they arrive, it, th- their personality is defined by so much of nature and nurture has such a, I mean, you can, I think nurture is an enhancement, right? Like you can, you can help develop certain aspects of, of, of personality with nurture, but mm-hmm. nature just just totally you know does has so much to do with who they become as a person and i find myself now you know thinking back to when i was like oh my kids will never misbehave in the store <laughs> i remember my kids misbehaving at the store right being like oh my god i'm so sorry but i i was shopping today about about an hour ago and there was a little girl just throwing a temper tantrum in in the in the shopping cart and all i could do is just smile and just go. I have been there, and I <laughs> and, yep. and and the, I'm not going to. Uh, I've, I've no longer judged parenting skills on that because yeah. <laughs> that stuff just kind of happens, right? Well, and it's important too that we nurture the individual, right? right. So yep. when my oldest is having a temper tantrum, she is very sensitive, and so when she throws a fit, it is um, because there is something that is triggering this very emotional, very in touch, very, you know, she's going to have a high emotional IQ. And I can see that as, as, you know, already a five-year-old. And so when she has a temper tantrum, it generally is like, okay, she's certainly hungry or she's tired, or there is something emotionally that is going on with her that needs to be almost uh, need to be cared for a little bit. Whereas my second is just feisty. You know, when she's throwing a fit, she wants to get her way. And that's a different way to nurture because if you always give in to, or if you, if you try and coddle, you know, a feisty kid that's throwing a fit, they're going to do that to get their way. You know, it's not this like emotional soft thing that needs to be cared for. It's like, no, you're being a jerk and I'm going to let you scream on the top of your lungs because life isn't about getting everything that you want. Why are you describing <laughs> my kids too? I don't want to ask you what's going on here, <laughs> but no, it's kind of funny. And, and your parents must've known knowing who you are and, 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 and having, you know, raised you and, and experienced life with you. They must've known when Ashley says she's going to run across the United States, she's going to do it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause we would, the, I took a year from when the inception and the idea was to build, uh, the charity MS run the U S which was not part of the original concept. It just mm-hmm. kind of developed and to train, to be able to run a marathon a day, six days a week for six months. And in that process, we had a lot of, uh, reporters and interviews and stuff like that. And people would ask my parents, like, what did you think when Ashley said that? And their consistent answer was, um, that's just Ashley. You know, so it's kind of, it was like this gaping, like, well, I don't know how else to explain it, but that's Ashley. <laughs> All right. So I have to ask you now, you have three kids. Um, if one, okay. So this, we're going to move the story ahead 20 years. And one of your kids comes to you and says, I'm running across the United States. Which one of your kids would do it if they said it? 
Um, that's a tough one because my, so my second, the second one who's three right now, her name is Sierra. She's yeah. the feisty one where like she has the, the, um, the emotional capacity to be like, I'm going to do this and I'm actually going to do it. Yeah. But, I, but what I've seen is she doesn't have the endurance at least right now. Right. Like when we, when we go on walks, she's the first one to get tired. Like, I'm like, this kid's going to be a sprinter. Like if anything, she's going to be like a sprinter or like field hockey or something where there's short bursts of endurance, unless like she decides to change and work on it. But Primrose, my oldest had, I mean, she's fast and she runs far and she could run forever. What would hold her back? Maybe, I don't know, is maybe like her emotional tenderness, you know, you kind of have to have some real hardcore mental fortitude to do something like that. So it like, I get, I don't have a good answer. And then my son, AJ, who's one, um, he just poops his pants now. (laughs) You can't tell much, right? Well, you can, I think you can tell a lot about a baby. He's certainly stubborn enough. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about his like, um, you know, his his endurance capacity, but he is stubborn. <laughs> your your middle child would sprint across the United States, so it'd be a, it'd be across the United States, one hundred meter dash at a time. <laughs> It might take a, quite a bit longer to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So it would the, be an interesting event to watch. That's, that's for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, so training for this, you said you you ramped up a little bit doing 13 miles a day just to kind of get your body ready. It was was that the the bulk of your plan? Like if I can do a half marathon a day for whatever, I can do a marathon a day. What was your plan to get your body ready for this? So the plan was 20 to 30 miles a day across the country to get my body ready for it. Uh, just kind of threw myself to the fire. So I got home in February of 2009. The run happened. It started March 22nd, 2010. Okay. So I got home in February and was, was running and, uh, I got my hands on ultra marathon man by Dean Carnazes. And I got to the part where he essentially in his garden shoes goes and runs 30 miles. And I thought in my head, like, screw that. Like I'm a runner and uh, I have running shoes and I've got all the clothes. Like I'm going to go run a marathon right now because he did it. And he wasn't even like running really that much. Right. So I left my parents front door and I went and ran a marathon and it was, uh, an adventure <laughs> to say the least. I did not have, I did not have, I didn't take any food, water, money, or my phone with me. I just mapped it out on my computer and left the house. You, and did you not yes. get to the part where he talked about eating? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just like, I get really inspired and then I go do things. Um, so my parents knowing better followed and showed up in their car and brought me bananas and Gatorade. Uh, they found me about two and a half hours into the thing where I was like, I had hit the wall. I was, I was now fur- I was further along on the course to just keep moving forward than right. it was to turn around and go back. Um, it was painful, but I got home and I was like, I did that without, a, without really a lot of help. So um, certainly I can run 50 miles. So then I signed up to do a, my first ultra race was six weeks after that. I did a 50 mile trail race in Wisconsin. Was that, which one is that? The ice age, ice age age 50 miler ice age on, on those great trails. Um, it was so amazing. Yes. That, that had to have been an experience for you. It was, I mean, it felt better than the, than the marathon because there's, 
aid stations. Like every six miles, you just run and then you eat stuff and people are cheering you on and then you run more and you eat stuff. And then at the end, they give you a beer. I was like, sign me up. I am an ultra marathon runner <laughs> through and through. This is, this is the best sport on the planet. So then I got sucked into ultra running yeah. pretty quickly. I just loved the people. I loved the races. I loved the aid stations and everything about it. You perfectly described the sport, Ashley, with the, you run a bit. <laughs> You eat some, you run a bit, you eat some. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you, pretty much. You, you get through that year, and is was the fifty miler the only ultra you did in that year of prep, or did you do other races? I did three fifty milers, and then I also signed up to do this marathon, half marathon, back to back at the Pettit Ice Center, which was it was like this indoor marathon around this loop. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I signed up. Well, I. I started as I was, I was promoting this. I was getting race directors that were like, Hey, you can come run at my race for free, uh, as an opportunity to train for it. Like the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area running community is really, really supportive. And so I got a lot of support from runners. Mm-hmm. And so I just like, if someone invited me to a race, I'd go and run it. And, and I did that all the way until we left, uh, Wisconsin in March, March, at, 2010. Ashley, the way you say Milwaukee makes me miss my home. <laughs> <laughs> How do they say it in Tennessee? <laughs> uh, Milwaukee is how they say it. But I don't know if you hear this, but listen for this next time. And my mom always gives me so much heat. She's like, Ryan, we do not have accents. I don't know where you're getting that from. But Milwaukee, that's that's how Milwaukee people say Milwaukee's Milwaukee is is how it how it's those 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 syllables slashed together. Mm-hmm. And and I have I had to try so hard when I moved out, Ashley, and I moved out of the out of out of Wisconsin. I caught myself having so much Wisconsin in my voice that I had to clear out for work. And that was one of the things I had to work on was like mill walkie mill walkie. And I just had to make sure I just slow down, uh, you know, in that word, but I definitely had a little bit of that cheese in the voice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) now, now I don't know if they still have these things, but when I was living in Wisconsin, they had, Eight ATM machines called time machines. Oh, of course. We yes. Have time machines. So yeah. when you leave and bubblers, yes. When you <laughs> leave the state of Wisconsin, and by the way, if you don't know, time is T Y M E and it stands for take your money everywhere. <laughs> and so in Wisconsin, at least where I'm from and, and where you, where you're at, cause we grew up, uh, 30 miles from each other. Um, mm-hmm. you don't say I'm going to the ATM to get some cash you say, I'm going to go to the time machine. I got to go find a time machine. <laughs> and so when I, That's so good. <laughs> when I moved out, I don't know if you had this, an experience like this, but when, when I moved out of, of Wisconsin, I remember I was in Illinois and I was trying to find <laughs> uh, a, an ATM, but of course I only knew them as time machines. And so I remember going to a gas station going, Hey, where's your time machine? <laughs> <laughs> and getting this look of like, uh, your what now? Your time machine. Where's the time machine? What do you want to use a time machine for? It's like no, 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 no. Not not a DeLorean with a flux capacitor. I'm talking. Take your money. Every, I, 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 sorry, where do you get money out of a machine? He goes. Those are called ATMs. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I learned pretty quickly to because uh, I started traveling very quickly after I graduated. Uh, college. So yeah. I learned pretty quickly to stop calling it a time machine. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't used, I haven't called it a time machine in a really long time. You're in Barcelona going like, where's the time machine? 
and everyone's like, um, let me call the people in the white coats and they will be here <laughs> to pick you right up. It was that. Uh-huh. And I remember, um, cause in Wisconsin, the, I love that state. Um, every grocery store has a full liquor department. Oh yeah. You what can, else, what else is there? Right. Are there other options? Uh, full liquor department? Oh, there is, there is. When I moved down to Tennessee, Ashley, I was accustomed to, you go to the grocery store and you can get wine, you can get hard liquor, you can get beer, whatever, right? And so I'd never heard of these things called package stores. And so I moved down here and my wife's like, well, get a bottle of wine. It's it's the weekend. And so I go to the Kroger, which people from here lovingly call the Kroger's, and I am walking around the Kroger's looking for the the wine section. Now, we can have it now, but but, but back when I moved here, we couldn't. And so I'm walking around going like, hey, where's your wine? And I got a very similar look to the time machine look where it was like, you can't buy wine in a grocery store. This is Tennessee. I'm like, what? I've been buying, like, that's like, where else do you buy them? And she's like, there's a place called package stores. I'm like, oh, okay. She goes, we have some Boone's Farm over there. If that'll, that'll tide you over. It's being spoiled. Growing up in Wisconsin, it's that Wisconsin uh, spoiled is what it is, Ashley. It is. Yeah. The only thing that we are really missing, I think there are a few popping up, are the drive through liquor places that they have down in the South. Yes. Uh, Illinois. I came upon those uh, over spring break and I was like, this is, why am I walking into a liquor store when I could just drive my vehicle through one? That kind of seems like a recipe for a disaster, doesn't it? <laughs> I was drinking while also getting, but like to just drive through. Well, Ashley, you have the 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 fortitude to not, but I just think that that's 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 asking for trouble. But 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 back to running. Um, you get all the training. You leave Wisconsin, and did you go uh, west to east, or did you go east to west? Golden Gate Bridge to New York City. All right, so I went west to east. All right, did you fly out there, or did the did you make it a whole road trip? We had to drive the RV oh, that's right. that we got from Wisconsin out to. So this is a fun part of the story. Six weeks. I had set my date. I was going to start running from the Golden Gate Bridge, March 22nd. I put that date on my calendar like a year prior. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start in the spring, run through the summer, finish before winter, all that good stuff. Um, and six weeks to that date, we didn't have the RV yet, and we didn't have sponsorship to pay for the event and uh my boyfriend who was coming with me was kind of freaking out (laughs) and i just said today is the same type of day that yesterday was we have the same opportunities to meet the right person to get us this rv and that's what happened Uh, my aunt hosted a polka pancake (laughs) breakfast in wild rose wisconsin which has about wisconsin thing ever that is the most wisconsin (laughs) fundraiser ever (laughs) (laughs) it is so there's about 700 people in her town and she uh she's my mom's sister and she wanted to host a fundraiser a woman there lived next to a person that had an rv that was parked in their lawn that they were going to ask if i could borrow and that is where i borrowed the rv from you got a rv from a polka pancake fundraiser you bet so That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I'm just I'm picturing the conversation now where they're going like, you know, the Schneider's girl, Ashley, she's going to run across the United States and she needs, uh, <laughs> she needs a little something. She needs an RV. Well, Barb, don't you have an RV down there that you're not using? 
well, of course, yeah, we could totally let her use the Winnebago. Like that whole, <laughs> that's why I'm picturing that whole conversation. That is pretty much how it happened. Although I was Cumlin at the time. Schneider's my married name. So oh, okay. Was, so you were, which, what was, was it? A, but other than that, yeah. uh, the whole story pretty much happened. Well, they would have described you as, what, what your parents' uh, first names are? Keith and Jill. Keith and Jill. Did you hear Keith and Jill's girl's going to run across the United States? That's yeah, that's how you were described. Oh, goodness. At Hold the, on a second. That's okay. At the, at the polka party. Hold on one second. Yeah, you're, you're okay. We had to take a little parenting break there for just a minute. Dead. I apparently was laughing too loud. Oh, okay. Oh, baby. Okay, you have to, we have to not laugh so much. Um, don't feel bad, though, when Dominic Grossman was on. His his adorable daughter was. I think she stole the show. So don't feel. Oh yeah. <laughs> don't feel bad about having to take parenting breaks. We're gonna try and keep the laughing down, yeah. so we keep so we don't wake down. up the baby. Okay, so yep. Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> After the polka pat pancake fundraiser, you've now got the RV to take you across the United States. You're gonna be there on foot. That's your little your little rest area day one or just you know let's kind of go through the adventure the adventure you had of running across the united states uh, this idea that spawned from a run on a cruise ship over a year before and now right? it's finally here yeah it was everything except the running was the challenging part of my run across the country really yeah if you want me to encompass the whole of the event. Yeah. Um, so when I started, uh, so I mentioned my, my boyfriend was the one who was coming with me. Um, he, we had met on the cruise ship. He was Australian. And so he's going to drive in America, this motor home across the country while I'm running. And so day one in San Francisco, he got kind of tangled up in the one ways there. Yes. Um, and so it was like this, he was trying to send people out to crew me along my 17 mile stretch, um, very quickly. So uh, as I mentioned, I'm kind of like a step first, figure it out on the way down type of person. Right. Um, the maps that I was looking at on Google or this, the highways that I was looking at on Google from my home, uh, on my computer did not, they weren't safe. Uh, when I actually got out and had to run around Napa Valley in California, yeah, this highway that essentially I thought was going to be like a like a, I don't I don't want to say country road, right? Like I had no, but it was labeled a highway. It wasn't labeled an interstate. Yeah, I got out there. It was like basically an interstate. It was like a four lane cement barricade, sixty five mile an hour. Like don't run in this or you might die. Type of type of road. So I, you know, you just had to like figure it out. I ended up running on train tracks for about forty miles. And, um, and just pieced it together that way. I just, I, I didn't, I tried to remain as flexible as possible while staying committed to the miles. Um, and so lots of stuff happened along the way. There was a, uh, a media person that I brought on to take photos. I didn't know him very well, but I was meeting a lot of people that I didn't know very well that were super, super generous. Right. So we get like this family to give me a motor home. Uh, Montel Williams was my celebrity endorser. He got me sponsorship. Uh, Montel Williams. Yeah. Well, oh, he's wow. living with MS. So oh yeah. That's I right. I reached out to him and just said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm doing this. And you know, wanted you to know that I was doing this for the cause. And he was got really excited and wanted to help. And he, that's where the sponsor came from. Oh, that's cool. His, yeah. Do you yeah, remember really great. the, uh, Sylvia Brown, the psychic mm -hmm. used to have on all the time. Mm -hmm. Did he yeah. have, did he have you talk to Sylvia to see if you were going to make it? Uh, no, he didn't. Damn it. <laughs> 
I don't think I would have because I, I never questioned. I was never worried about not being able to run across the country. Yeah. A lot of people worried would ask me about, Hey, are you worried about getting injured? Are you worried about this or that? It was never something that I was worried about. I just had this, this knowing that I was going to run across the country and it wasn't, um, I just didn't think it was going to be terribly physically taxing on me. Um, that's an, was it a faith? You mentioned it briefly, Ashley, is it, was it a faith-based belief that this was just such a strong calling that you had to do this, that it was almost like a, a trust in a higher power during this adventure? It was part of that. And then also my parents were really about uh, like the, the power of positive thinking mm-hmm. and they didn't, they didn't frame it in that way, but I got my hands on a book that really put in context what I had been taught my whole life. That like, if you, if you want to like live into something or move into something and like, you know, being positive, you know, not being just, you know, my mom wasn't a Debbie Downer. She was diagnosed with MS before I was born. She had uh, a lot of circumstances from the disease that were less than desirable. And we, as a family, it was just like, this is what it is. This is our life. Um, and we just wanted to have as much fun as we could. My dad always said, we can either laugh about it or cry about it. And laughing is a lot more fun. Yeah. And so it was this concept of like, um, imagine the life, imagine the result that you want and then move into that. And I didn't see the point in worrying about an outcome that was just as probable as me being able to do it without injury. You know what I mean? Like the probability of doing it well versus not, you know, we tend to as humans in general lean towards the negative, right? It's like, Ooh, you're running a marathon a day. There's a lot of stuff that could go wrong with that. And yes, true. There is, but there's a lot of stuff that could go right too. Like right. there was nothing in my, in my being as a 24, 25 year old that would indicate that I wasn't going to be capable of running that much. Do you remember the book that you read that, that kind of reinforced your thoughts on that? It's called the secret. Oh, it's yes. It's that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard about that one. They've made a movie out of it. Okay. Ashley, mm-hmm. I have to ask, and I always ask this question because as a Wisconsinite, um, there are down here, down South, there's, there's a, a quite a bit variety of churches, um, mm-hmm. in the South. There's first Baptist, there's second Baptist, there's, you know, free, free will Baptist. There's a whole lot of different types of churches in Wisconsin. There's two. Um, are you Catholic or Lutheran? <laughs> Lutheran. Are you Wisconsin Synod Lutheran or are you ELCA Lutheran? So I would say I was. I was Lutheran because okay. uh, so I grew up Lutheran. Um, it was Missouri Synod. And then when I got to college, I was like, that's a lot less fun than going out and like drinking with my friends and doing what I want. And so I, I kind of morphed my religious upbringing into I believe in God. God loves me. He's going to forgive me if I go out and party on the weekends. And so I did that for a little while and then kind of steered back to what is now um, non-denominational Christian. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So I, I knew I could hear, you're either <laughs> Catholic or you're Lutheran. I grew up Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, and I remember um, <laughs> people thinking, like my wife grew up in a, in a church that had a Catholic background, and, and my grandparents, by the way, told me how Catholics and Lutherans couldn't date in Wisconsin back in the 50s. That was nobody can date a Catholic, period, <laughs> unless you're a Catholic. <laughs> yeah, right, but it was a huge, huge thing. And when my parents, my grandparents got together, my grandfather was a oh, Moravian. And they had to, he had to convert to Wisconsin Lutheran to marry my 
my my grandmother and then my mom met a Catholic and he had to he had to give up his Catholicness to to be Wisconsin Lutheran. But so we were I was the church that would have the the West Side Story st- uh, style dance fight against your church, the Missouri Synod. And the, and the Wisconsin Synod, um, but I, I knew there were going to be one or two, one or two choices on that For one. Sure. It's a Wisconsin thing, everybody. But it that- really is. And my, um, I will say, so my mom passed in 2017. I'm sorry to hear that. And yes, thank you. She um, she was taken a, a very gracious way. She passed in her sleep. Mm-hmm. It was unexpected, but it was very God brought her home, and there was not pain. So, um, but so she passed and the church that I grew up in was the church she grew up in. Mm-hmm. And it was like the grade school. So we're like, okay, even though we were attending a different church that was more contemporary, definitely like rock band worship music esque. Um, we thought, okay, we'll, we'll do mom's funeral at this, at her, you know, at our Lutheran home. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we did the funeral and I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not, <laughs> there's, there's a really, really, uh, minute chance of me converting back to what this is <laughs> to each their own, but also no, thank you. <laughs> my, my wife thought it was incredibly weird when we went to church with my parents, um, early on in our relationship and they were still going to the Wisconsin Synod Lutheran. Everybody who's Wisconsin Synod Lutheran will know this, but at the end of the service, they, they wheeled <laughs> a TV and a VCR in in front of the television, and then we had to watch a video that was from the synod president. It was the Wells moment, is what it was, <laughs> and then I still remember the theme song that would play. Yes, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod has a theme song that goes a little something like this: "Come to the wells for the life of the living word." I still remember that to this day. <laughs> I have never had a podcast interview go this direction. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, I, okay. And as people are tuning out, they're going, okay, come on, jackass. What are we talking about? Lutherans and Catholics for this is a Wisconsin thing. I'm sorry if we've jumped into Wisconsin land this perfectly. Everybody from Wisconsin or has been near Wisconsin is, is just going like, oh, yep, this is right where I'm at. But let's go back for everybody else who's not from the state of Wisconsin for our listeners, other places. Um, let's make this more professional, Ashley. Uh, <laughs> so you got this Aussie, this Aussie boyfriend who is probably lo- in love with cheese curds since you brought him to Wisconsin. He's driving the RV. You got the media guy. Montel Williams has, has sponsored you. Didn't let you talk to Sylvia Brown, which was a letdown. But and so, <laughs> so you said some, some things, some crazy things happened before we got into theme songs for churches. Right. So uh, first with the media guy, um, he ended up stealing money from the nonprofits and found out about it while he was living and staying in the motorhome with us. So I was able to get the funds back. And then I promptly dropped him off at a bus stop and drove away. Where, um, where, where, where did you, what, where in the country was this bus stop? Utah. <laughs> so this is not too far into no. it no how in the heck did you find out the media guys embezzling money from you uh, so i got a phone call from b and h photography 
yeah. and they just said, hi, um, you know, this is B&H Photography, just wanted to confirm the shipping address for the purchase of, you know, this equipment that was, I think it was just under $2,000. Yeah. Um, and I said, I'm sorry, who is this? And she said, oh, blah, blah, blah. Here's the total. I just needed to confirm the shipment address of the card that we have on file for these, um, for these things. Yeah. Um, or they were, they weren't confirming the shipment address. They wanted to confirm the, the billing address for the card that they had on file. And I said, I didn't order this, uh, you know, cancel the order and, uh, this is fraud. So, you know, I just basically said, this is a mistake, cancel the order. Yeah. And so I then approached this person and said, why does this, why does this camera equipment company have my credit card? Well, he, I, so I'll back up. I was 25 and I made a mistake. Um, he was with us at the start and yeah. then he had said, Hey, I have another shoot somewhere else. I got to fly to Alaska. Um, I'll be back within a couple of weeks. Could I borrow some money for the flight? And he was volunteering his time. So I thought, you're why 20, not? You're 25. I mean, 130 bucks for a flight right. when you're volunteering for the summer. So I said, sure. And he said, Hey, I've got it pulled up on my computer. If you just want to rattle off the numbers, I'll enter it in and I'll pay you back when I get back after they pay me for this shoot. Yeah. He said it in a way that like, there was something in me that thought like, I shouldn't be giving this person my credit card. But then he, he said it in a way that made me second guess myself that I would be like the bad person. Uh, yeah. Like I was not trusting. And yeah. it's like, what do I, like, it was this split section set, second thing where I felt like I was being the one that was being untrusting by not doing this. Yeah. And I thought like in the same second, it's like, who am I if I can have this person under my roof, but I don't trust them. Right. So, then yeah. I, so I gave him my credit card and he ended up using it thereafter. He did fly to Alaska. I have no idea why I did this, but he came back to the event because it was just like this. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm flying into Salt Lake City. Yeah. He flew into Salt Lake City. Very short time afterwards, I got the call from B&H and I knew instantly why they had my credit card. So then I said, why are you using my credit card? And he, this is what I learned from it. This, I won't tell the story, but this is what I learned from it is that wolves dress in sheep's clothing. It's They're not so, yeah. like, it, it is so true. You know, he, he was so, he was warm and he, like charming and everyone, everyone except my boyfriend liked him. And I thought it was like a, like a jealousy thing that another guy was on this trip with us. And I was yeah. kind of like, get over it. But he was very untrusting of this media guy. And he just like, didn't have a good, but um, my boyfriend was also a little bit more worldly than I was. Yeah. And I was super naive. And so he was bringing his worldliness to this situation. And he was the, he was the one who ended up kind of uncovering. Cause even after I approached this media guy, he was like, my accountant handles all of like my expenses. He must've gotten the cards mixed up. I'm so sorry. I will call him and get this sorted out. And so I was like, okay, like honest mistake. Right. And so we, he was still on the road with us for like a couple days. And, uh, my boyfriend, ended up digging through his wallet uh, when he was in the bathroom and found a receipt with our card number and then called the restaurant to see why they used the card number. And she, the, the woman basically said, yeah, he had rattled off the number, said he lost his card number, he lost his card on the shoot and all this stuff. So it was like, it ended up being revealed that he was lying about the whole thing. Yeah. I knew he was lying, but I wanted the money back. It was $6,000. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, so I, I pressed him. I pretended like I didn't know he stole it. And I pressed him for the money back. 
uh, within two days, we had the money dropped into our account. And then immediately we took them to the bus stop and said, get lost. Um, that had to be an uncomfortable ride on the bu- on the uh, RV, in Barb's RV, you know, <laughs> when you're trying to get the money back and you got crazy embezzle guy before you drop them off at the at the bus stop. But what a I lo- wasn't so much uncomfortable as I was mad. I was really mad. And at the time we had also, um, so people would come out of the woodwork to like help us, right? Yeah, and yeah. this couple in Utah had found the RV and invited us over to their house. Yeah. And so we were actually staying at their house when this all went down. And I, and I ended up having to tell her like, hey, this dude's a criminal and now we, we know it. So they, they were super helpful and it felt like I had this pseudo family that yeah. was there helping me with this situation. And so uh, my boyfriend and I didn't have to really handle it alone. Did he say to you, and I, and I can hear it in my head right now, and I, I, won't, I won't offend you by doing my bad Australian accent, but did he at some point say, Ashley, I don't trust this bloke? <laughs> that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good, uh, yes. Ashley, yeah, I don't were- trust this bloke at all. <laughs> that's totally that's totally what it was. I don't know if he, I don't know if he, uh, exactly. He might've, you know, he might've said like, I don't trust him. And I probably was like, yeah. Cause you don't you know, want, cause you that? wanted, you, you didn't want to assume bad things. By the way, quick aside, Australians have the best slang. Um, they, they call McDonald's the Maccas, um, mm-hmm. and, and liquor stores, they have the best name for liquor, liquor stores. They call them bottle O's. Hey, we're going on down to the bottle house. I don't trust that bloke who's in the RV with us. We'll drop him off at the old bottle house. So, yeah. Best. The two um, Australian words I like are mate. Yeah. You know, it's like every friend's a mate. Yep. And then um, they call them walkabouts. If you just need to get out and yes. get some air, you're going on a walkabout. I, I, I've stolen the Australian no worries. I've made that my own. I use that quite a bit every day. Like, oh, no worries. It, it, it's, it's no big thing. So... Yeah, you are. You're dropping this guy off at a bus stop in Utah. You got a long way to go across the United States. Was that the extent of the drama, or was there more interesting no, just, thing, things that happened along the way? Just the start of it. Just the oh. start of it. Um, so uh, the other thing that ended up kind of being the biggest uh, controversy that I had to work through was that my boyfriend was an athlete, but not necessarily a runner, yeah. especially not to this extent. So. Um, when we decided to do this thing on the cruise ship, it was like, it was like this tour across America. Let's go see America. I'll run it. We'll do this. I was planning on raising, I was trying to raise $500,000 for charity. It was very much this like adventure, right. Yeah. That we dreamed up or I, you know, he got sucked into, um, with the concept cause he loved it. And then slowly along the way, it morphed into, it morphed from this six month adventure to like a lifelong commitment. So when I got home to Wisconsin, I, my plan at the time was to partner with an existing charity mm-hmm. and give away all the money that I raised. And I quickly realized that sponsors would want tax deduction. And I wasn't necessarily feeling like the support that I thought I was going to feel from already existing charities to yeah, do something like right. this. Um, and so then I decided I was going to start my own charity. And so in doing that, I fell in love with starting my own charity, starting MS Run the US and doing something more with it. During the run, I also got obsessed with the miles. You know, it's like when you 
when you have this task before you every single day for six months, it's like, let's get up, let's get our shoes on. We're getting in the car. I'm running these miles. Like, let's do this thing, you know? And it was very, this concentrated effort of running the miles and fundraising the money. Yeah. And it was very, very, that was the adventure for me. And it became the obsession of something that I fell in love with. And it was less, you know, oh, let's tour America and it'll be adventurous to this like very monotonous, let's get up, get our asses in the car. I got to run some miles for today. So I probably wasn't the most fun girlfriend in the history of the world. <laughs> right. Um, but I was super hyper-focused and had fallen in love with this and started meeting runners along the way that had echoed that they wanted to do something like this, but didn't have the time or the resources. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to that, I wasn't raising the same, I wasn't raising the money that I knew I needed to raise to meet $500,000. And so I started thinking about what could I do with this? How can I create MS Run the US as this charity that runs across America to meet the fundraising goal, to make this impact that I have, that I feel on my heart. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about what he wanted to do. I wasn't really thinking about how this really affected him. I was just sucked into it. And I thought we were going through this together. Um, and I don't, have you ever done, have you ever done ultra crewing or have you always been on the runner side? Oh, I've, I've done the crewing and I've done the pacing and the, I've, I've, I've covered all the ultra bases just so I can have a good, uh, you know, a wealth of knowledge to draw from to do this podcast, but yeah. Right. I've, I've so you it. know that uh, crewing is a very thankless job. Like mm -hmm. nobody's looking at the crew. Nobody's looking at the volunteer at the aid station that keeps the soup at the perfect temperature so you can drink it. Right. Um, they're always looking at the runner and that's the person that gets the cheers. And so it was this, uh, you know, he was, it's a very unique role mm -hmm. that doesn't, I would say at least from what I knew of him, at the time, it didn't fit his personality. We found on the road that crewing 24 seven, waking up at the crack of dawn, sitting in a car for five hours, watching me run every day. It wasn't something that brought him a lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where for some people, I laugh for some people that does bring them joy. Does your husband um, now say like, well, Ashley, had I been with you, I would have enjoyed every second because it's all I would have made your shoes all dry and put them on your feet in the morning. It is a, well, my, my husband is an ultra runner and he has a servant heart. Um, and so he would do that. Yeah. I, I would, I, I, someone asked me, you know, if you would ever do it again, what would you, you can't change anything in the past, but right. if I were to do it again, my husband could crew me and I could crew my husband and we would have a ball. So did the relationship end during the, the run across the United States with the, with the Australian fella? Not during, but almost <laughs> in <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> well, uh, we had a, we took it out on each other in Iowa and then um, decided to, he was going to take a break at my parents' house. My parents came out and crewed for a little bit. I had some friends come in and volunteer here and there. So basically after Iowa, there were not a lot of stretches of time that we were alone. And in, in the event, it was really difficult. We stayed together for, I think, like six months or something like that after that. Yeah. Because in the event, it was very difficult to tell whether our differences were because of what we were doing or if this is who we were as a couple. You know, it was, okay. it was really, it was super complex and it was not the space to figure it out. And if, if he was just to leave and go home at that moment, then it would have been the end of it. Um, we needed some space from the unnormalcy of running across the country to see what our relationship was outside of the 
of the endurance space of doing that event. I've often said that before you decide to marry someone and spend your life with them, you need to move a heavy piece of furniture together <laughs> because that, I mean, that's, that's, that's not easy. Right. And so, or like, or buy a height of bed. Cause those things, <laughs> God, those things are heavy. And then you have to put it in a room on the second floor of your house. And then mm-hmm. if you can successfully get that height of bed or heavy piece of furniture on the second floor of the house and you guys don't hate each other, that's going to be a solid marriage. That's my, that is the Ryan Pluckelman marriage test. <laughs> you took that to extremes by saying, let's run across the United States and you've got to wait on me hand and foot for, for six months. It was a, it's a, it was a very, it was a much cranked up extreme version of my move heavy furniture. Mm-hmm. marriage test. Mm-hmm. I do want to correct you. I'm not, uh, I don't perceive myself as the, you have to wait on me. Hand oh, I was, I know. I, I, <laughs> I, what I meant was, you know, because that's kind of the job of crewing and pacing. You, you right. put your needs aside to, to help your runner achieve their goals. Your goals are secondary. Your needs are secondary. Sure. You're putting yeah, yourself. Just by the nature of the job, right? Exactly. Well, and the reason I want to say that is because there are some ultra runners that are a little bit more diva-esque. And then there are some ultra runners that are kind of chill, yeah. um, you know? And so I would, I was probably more in the kind of chill category while also still having to complete the task and accomplish the goal. Please. If anyone had it in their head that Ashley is high maintenance ultra runner, <laughs> she's not. Okay. <laughs> Just get that out of your head right now. But that is a task to have somebody drive an RV yes. to support you in this epic endeavor. And it, and the yes. strains the strains were were showing, but it was Iowa where things finally went kaboom. Yes. Yeah. I think the most, uh, I think running across the country as a crew person, which I did myself for the very first relay, which we can talk about. And I, maybe because I started the nonprofit and I loved it. I, wanna, I wanted to succeed. I actually really enjoyed crewing. Yeah. Um, but there is this satisfaction that you get from that runner, like cross, like accomplishing that goal. Um, but anyways, what, what, as a crew, what is most difficult about helping someone run across the country is the level of, um, the tasks need to be done consistently, mm-hmm. but they're mindless. Yes. Um, they're never ending mm-hmm. and it can be mundane if you don't have a plan in place to just kind of enjoy the sunrises. Right. Or like, if you don't like reading, you know, it's not like there's a lot to do out there. We didn't have cable. Like you have to kind of throttle your internet use. You know, there's all these little things that for the person who needs a little bit more. And I will say this, and this is probably more of it is I'm introverted and he is extroverted. And so these like miles in the middle of nowhere by yourself, I thrived. And it was like, you know, I could only imagine for him not seeing normal people for days on end was very difficult. Oh, I can imagine. And, and what, something you, you said about, about the crewing and, and, we'll, and I think we need to, we'll shift gears in a second to talk about, uh, what run MS or MS run the U S what people can actually do. And, and I think it's really mm-hmm. fantastic, but what crewing does so well. And I, I, I will say that when I'm crewing someone, especially for a longer race, it's almost better. I feel the feeling when that person crosses the finish line, I feel better in that situation than I do in my, my, when I, when I cross the finish line myself, you know, mm-hmm. it becomes this team effort and, and the boundaries between persons dissolve. And all of a sudden it's this, it's five guys 
out in the woods trying to move one guy from point A to point B and get him to the finish line. It is, it's a really cool feeling and experience that you really just can't. I've, I've yet to find anything that matches that. The feeling of mm-hmm. getting someone across that finish line, especially someone you're emotionally invested in that you've shared a lot of, a lot of miles with. But you, you, yeah. finished, you finished that solo run across the United States, and the idea came up at some point with MS Run the U.S. where you could make it a relay for, for regular folks to get a taste of the adventure that you had had. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so kind of talk uh, about that first, re- how, how, you know, you finish that, you, you cross the finish line, you get to the, was it the Brooklyn Bridge is where you decided to call it quits? Uh, George Washington, the bridge to bridge concept was my, was in my heart, the main concept. Yeah. And so George Washington Bridge was the bridge that I, that I crossed over, but I actually finished at the city hall. Okay. Montel lived in New York and he put together this big city hall thing with the mayor and some celebrities and media and all that kind of stuff. So, well, we can't skip over that. So, uh, so from, from Iowa to, to New York, <laughs> crazy things happen. I really should have set this up for two. We could have had the two part, <laughs> Ashley, yeah. you know, had I not gone off into that Wells tangent, we would have been fine. <laughs> But darn it, my, you can always cut it out. Yeah, no, I, that's gold. That that's gold. Um, uh, but but so 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 you you finish. Well, then we'll mm-hmm. then we'll get to the uh, the 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 uh, the crewing people and and the new mission. Um, yeah. So, had you met Montel Williams up until this point, or did you just kind of talked to him on the phone? I had met him. He came out for the start. Mm-hmm. He met me in Milwaukee. Um, I got invited at the at. So during my run, one of the reporters from Milwaukee convinced Fox Sports North to air live or updates of my progress during the Brewers games throughout the summer. Really? And so, yeah, it was really amazing. And they, so they invited me to throw out the first pitch when I was coming through South Chicago. I came up to Wisconsin and we had a tailgating fundraising party at Miller Park. And then I ran out onto the field and threw out the first pitch. Oh, wow. Um, Did you get to meet Bob Uecker? I didn't. Even if I had, I don't think it would have felt significant to me because I, I am now a baseball fan Yeah, because my husband is a huge Brewers Uecker fan. And he has, he has a way of explaining baseball in a way that is actually really a lot of fun now to be a part of at the time. I was just like, "Eh, baseball, you just sit there for hours and they just, you know, it didn't really, you know, I'm not a sit and watch sports kind of person. Um, And so even if I had met Euchre, which I don't think I did, it wouldn't have been as significant as if I met Euchre now, I'd be like, you you totally fangirl over Euchre now. Oh my gosh, yeah, for sure. And then I'd <laughs> take a picture with him and show my husband and be like, look who I just met. <laughs> um, so I had met Montel along the way. Yeah. Um, set up this finish in New York and the finish was really anticlimactic for me because I, I always knew I could run across the country. Yeah. That's why I wasn't, I was, it wasn't this mystery to solve if I could run across the country. I knew I was capable of it. I, the fundraising was the goal. The whole point in running across the country was to raise $500,000. When I got to New York, I had raised $55,000 and I was embarrassed and everybody was celebrating and they were like, this is amazing. Congratulations. I didn't know how to express at the time that I was embarrassed 
because you can raise $55,000 doing a fundraising event at home right. over the weekend. You don't need to run across the whole country. It felt like really disconnect between the amount of money I raised and the, the thing I just did. Right. And so, um, the finish happened, but it was kind of, it was for me internally, it was anticlimactic. I didn't. And in that moment, it took me some, some time to digest what, what people would typically think one would feel finishing into you to New York. I, I actually felt at the very first day one of our relay of our very first relay 2013, I was standing on the opposite side of the country in Santa Monica, California. And when, um, I had done the work of building this relay, um, convincing everyday runners like myself that they could do something like this and getting along and, uh, and coupling it with them having to commit to fundraising $10,000. So collectively as a team, we could do, you know, like $20,000 when all of that had come into fruition. And I was standing in Santa Monica with our very first runner. That is when I felt accomplished. That's when I was like, this is what I was supposed to do. It wasn't quit my job and run across America. It was quit my job, run across America and help other people do the same. Wow. Had you only been able to know that ahead of time, you could have cut out that whole six months running across the USA, dropping off a criminal at a bus stop in Utah, having a relationship blow up in Iowa, feeling disappointed in front of Montel Williams. You could have cut all that out and gone straight to the the purpose. But sometimes we have to go the long way round. Mm-hmm. To find. And it would make my book really boring. So oh god, that book would have go. would have stunk uh, if you would have just like said ah, I started a relay. You know, right, no one's reading right. the I started a relay book, but they are reading the we had to leave a guy at a bus stop in Utah, and then yep. you know, <laughs> relationship blow up in Iowa book. People are reading yep. that one. So yes. so so th- 2013, first year of the MS run the U.S. Relay. How does the how does the relay work, Ashley? How many people need to be on a team, and and how does that whole thing uh, go down? Yeah, so it's a staged relay run. We have nineteen segments, so a, approximately each segment is one hundred and sixty miles. That's six marathons in six consecutive days. Okay. So what I do as the executive director and what we do as an organization, we got a grant uh, for a brand new RV, so we provide the motorhome, we provide the stag vehicle, we provide the um, the caravan, the lodging, transportation, the food, all of that. Um, I hire road crew specifically for different jobs um, along the team. And what the runner needs to do is over the course of a six month journey, we train them to run a marathon a day for six consecutive days. And then they fundraise $10,000. So segment one runner knows, okay, I got to show up at the beach and I start running April 8th and I have until April 15th to get to Barstow, California. And when I get to Barstow, the next runner is there They pass the baton Barstow to Vegas Vegas to Cedar city. And we do that all the way across the country. It takes four and a half months to run from Santa Monica to New York city, one runner at a time through each of the segments. So here we are now seven years into this, this new event that you've created, this MS run the U S you're, you were disappointed when you, when you got to New York city on your feet, you wanted $500,000, you got $50,000. Where are you at? Have you done a tally of, of how much, Total. Oh, of course. Yeah, we're. Um, <laughs> that was a dumb question. I'm sorry. <laughs> they can't always be. Are you a Lutheran or a Catholic? I'm sorry. Uh, we're at 2.36 million. Wow. We surpassed the $500,000 fundraising mark as an organization in uh, just one year after starting the relay. Wow. 
Did you, I mean, it, that's a that's a huge number to wrap your head around. Yeah. When you yeah. get into the millions, because if you told your daughter to to go like, hey, start counting now and then end when you're at a million, you wouldn't see her for ten. Years. I mean, it, it's it's a huge, <laughs> ridiculous amount of money. That has to just feel amazing. It uh, it feels amazing because we get what we get to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. So our mission with the organization is threefold: it's awareness of the disease, it's uh, helping fund financial aid requests that are specifically related to mobility. So funding wheelchairs, ramps, bathroom modifications, helping people live better right now with MS, and then we also fund research. The research that we fund is specific towards nutrition and movement-based things that people with MS can do to live better right now. So we're trying to help that everyday person living with MS live better. And so that is, that's what the money gets to do. That's why it feels so good. And I will say like, I just have a heart for the relay runners. Like I love our relay runners. I love the events. It is a journey to go from like, thinking about running six marathons in six consecutive days to actually doing it. And these are, like I said, it's everyday people. It's people like you, parents, full-time jobs, uh, students. I mean, if you've run a half marathon, I can take you from having run that distance to being able to do this six marathons in six days on our team. That's pretty amazing. It's for a great cause too. And I think having that, attaching it, because ultra running, Ashley, as as you know, can be a very selfish sport, very self-centered sport. It's about me, you know, the crew shows up and they're taking care of me. And and, and, and those long runs away from family can be a very selfish sport. And to bring this into it and to give people an opportunity to get a little taste of it and Mm -hmm. to do something greater has got to be just to take two things like that and meld them together is a, a wonderful thing. That and I really love like changing the standard of what we think is possible to do with our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I think sometimes it's easy to have this concept of like an elite athlete or an Olympic athlete and what they do. And that's so amazing. And that's them, but this is me. And for the, for the person that wants something like this, it is completely possible. And it's, it is, there's a satisfaction in that because I, I and not to take away from, from elite athletes, I think there's a little, there's a genetic lottery that some people win that with hard work and with determination can go a lot farther than another person with that same hard work and with that same determination could go. I, I think not everybody's equal. I mean, you, you talk, we talked about Dean Carnazes uh, earlier on in the podcast, who, by the way, uh, I've been emailing with back and forth for six months. I believe he's going to be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Fingers crossed. I, now I may have jinxed it, but I mean, but, but it's been, a lot has been made about Dean Carnassus's body does not process lactic acid the way your body does, Ashley, or the way my body does. It it flushes it out much more efficiently than you or I would. So there's that mm-hmm. there's that genetic, I don't want to say advantage, because I think, you know, you can't just it had had Dean never ran before in his life and was five hundred pounds, he wouldn't be able to do the things he's doing. But that right. little the little genetic, I don't know if it's a if it's a card up the sleeve or whatever, it can take you to the next to the next level. But seeing, I don't pe- think it's just I don't think it's just one thing. There's that genetic edge, yeah. And then he has his nutrition really dialed in, mm-hmm. and then you have your not only just your training, but your recovery, right. meditation, yep. sleep, hydration. When you dial in all of these different levels, and then you have the desire and the mental fortitude and capacity, then we're talking about someone that has a level up on 
the everyday person because of the layered of doing those things over a long period of time equals massive gains. I like that. I just, uh, my, my roundabout, my round way to get there again, long way around. This could be the name of the, the episode here, the long way around. Um, <laughs> but, but to get to this point of it's impressive to watch what Jim Walmsley does. Right. And so mm-hmm. we can watch that from afar. But there's a difference to seeing him crush the Western states course record and seeing your aunt, your uncle, your friend, your wife, your best friend, your neighbor accomplish something that they thought was impossible. A, a runner that contacts you and says, I want to I want to do MS run the US. I've never done more than a half marathon. You're putting them in a, in a position that they're going to have to do something they don't think is possible. And to see them complete something that only six months ago would have seemed ridiculous. There is, there, I, I don't know, for, maybe it's just a personal thing. For me, I get a little more joy out of witnessing that than, you know, checking I Run Far's Twitter feed and going, oh, all right. Well, Jim Walsh yeah. cr- crushed that course record. So that, that's got to yeah. be very rewarding for you. Oh, for sure. It's life changing because Mm -hmm. it transfers over to all these different areas in your life when you can wonder where am I wasting some of the potential that I didn't know I was, you know, it's like removing those limits or heightening them. Yeah. It's like I could do this and running six marathons in six days. Nobody talks about. Right. Um, Right. Like on an everyday basis. And now I just did it. And the other thing, too, is. It's not a straight line. Right. It's not this simple do the training. And then this is the result. There's a lot of parts to this journey that are very emotionally and mentally coaching Mm -hmm. of, um, redirecting this, you know, I think what, what you focus on expands and sometimes it's being, uh, having someone in your life say, Hey, uh, we have to heighten your level of awareness that you're actually focusing on something you fear. And that's not what we should be looking at. We have to focus on this over here. Kind of like what I was saying about like the potential of getting hurt is just as much as the potential of not getting hurt, but it's so much easier to focus on the possibility of getting hurt. So uh, it's not focusing on that fear. It's focusing on the potential of what I'm capable of if I keep my direction in the right, in the right frame of mind. Okay. How do you make that mental switch? That's, that's, that, that's the, the, the big question here, and this might be the million dollar question that you're like, Ryan, if I had the answer, I'd write a book and I'd be living in a much bigger house and I, <laughs> we, would, we wouldn't have to have the MS run the US because I just donate all that money. How do you switch the mind from focusing on the negative to the positive? So the switch, I think, I think it's always, always helpful mm-hmm. to have a community or someone in your life that you feel is a little bit of a mentor, even if, even if it's not, um, I think community is important because sometimes, uh, we, I think I'll talk about myself, Mm. especially in my youth. I really focused on like what I could do very independent. Um, I was trying to do a lot of stuff myself and I see that layered in, even as an adult where I've learned this lesson, but I got to relearn it all over again. So I think it's important who we surround ourselves with and that, um, having that opportunity to discuss some of the things that might be holding us back. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and having someone that 
has a level of awareness to talk into that. And I guess what I'm getting at is like, I'll give you the most recent example of a 2020 relay runner who um, we had to switch to virtual. Some of the runners still chose to do a marathon a day from their house and we've supported them through that. And so one of those runners specifically called me like, I want to say eight days to the start of her segment. And she was just like, I don't know why I thought I could do this. Um, should I just take my miles down to 20, 18 to 20 miles a day? Like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? I don't have the the support I thought I was going to. I'm not super like woman. I'm scared to death and all that kind of stuff. And so as we were talking, I wanted to drill down. Why did she feel this way? And that is a really good question of why are you feeling this way? And, and not just like on a surface level, but start digging, digging, digging. And, um, what it gets down to a lot of times is as an individual, we perceive a world based on our perception, right? We create narratives inside of our head that maybe haven't even actually happened. Like, Oh, so-and-so I'm, I think so-and-so doesn't like me. Right. So-and-so has never said that, but Mm -hmm. now you're on this like spiral downward and now you're like, Oh, of course they don't like me because I said this, that one time seven years ago. And I wasn't even really listening last time. Like I I want, I'm sure they couldn't, you know, so you go on the spiral downward and unless you have someone, I think it's helpful to have someone say, why are we going on the spiral down? What are you afraid of? Let's talk about that. And a lot of times the fears are not evidence-based. It's not based off of something that's happened that you're afraid of. It's based off of a concept of what could happen if you try and pursue this. And so let's not get ahead of ourselves, you know, Um, run one mile at a time and let's see what happens. I think it's easy to think standing at the Golden Gate Bridge, like, holy shit, how am I going to get to New York? You know, that's all the way on the southern (laughs) side of the country. Right. But like you don't, you don't get to New York by thinking about New York. You get to New York by running to Napa Valley first. And then from Napa Valley, you run to Sacramento. And then from Sacramento, you run across Nevada. Like that, that concept works in so many areas of life. Um, and I still experience it today at the organization where I think about the pie in the sky concept that I really, really want to go after. And sometimes I get consumed by like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get there? And all of the things that require to come together for us to get there overwhelm me until I realize through mentorship and community and working with the people around me that I'm scared of something that is in the future, not scared of it, but like I'm getting anxiety over something that's in the future. And what I need to do is focus on the now. When I focus on what the next right step is, I can focus on the positive next right step. You might want to get into life coaching too, Ashley. I want to say maybe you could supplement or or whatever because that's that's really good stuff. I was going to say um, there's probably at no point during your run across the United States that you just, that you said to yourself, you know, it would have been much easier had I said, let's just run across Waukesha County. <laughs> that's, you know, not – it's like the marketing concept of that is really small. <laughs> that, that might well, get – I always – I always wanted to do the running part of it too, because my mom had a level of disability yeah. that she was not able to do these things. And so I had some bad days. I had some days where the weather sucked when I didn't want to get out of bed, especially when the media dude like took a bunch of money. There were some days afterwards that I had to manage um, some self-loathing that yeah. I felt yeah. in those days and not wanting to get up and run and just wanting to like pull the covers over my head and like wallow in self-pity. Um, so stuff like that happened, but, um, you know, it was just a matter of like, okay, just getting up 
and, and doing the next thing and appreciating that even on the bad days, I was out there doing it. And that was something my mom couldn't do. And mm-hmm. so that was part of the motivation. That's, that's incredible, Ashley. How do people get involved with MS Run the U.S.? Uh, but, but there's got to be a website, of course, and I will link to the dis- in the description of this podcast so people can be a part of the 2021 relay. Is there still spots available for that? We have the full team for 2021, but we do have other ways to get involved with the organization. So if you go to msrunus.org, we're building out different programs where people uh, can be involved in what we do, funnel and fuel into the mission. If being on the relay is something that they're interested in doing um, eventually, I always suggest that people be a part of our ambassador program um, and just kind of, we have volunteer opportunities. Getting involved with the organization definitely, you know, lets us get to know you a little bit more because it is an application process. It's not, Hey, I'm going to register for the relay. And now I'm part of the team. Oh, this is like Barkley. You got to email Ashley at midnight on Christmas day to a certain (laughs) email address. And then you got to weed through this, the submissions. You, I mean, we got 19 spots. So there's an interview process. There is a review of everybody that's applied. And then there's a selection and an invite process to be, to be on the team. Oh, wow. Well, very, very, very cool. All that I'm sure is on the website. If someone is desperate to, and really was, you know, inspired by this and wants to be a part of relay team, maybe 2022 or or 2023, you got to get that ball rolling. You got to, you got to get on Ashley's radar, essentially. You got to earn the spot. (laughs) So what about you and your personal running? What has, has motherhood of raising three kids, five and under, is that kind of taking a, a toll on your running? But where are you at personally with yours? So I switched to CrossFit uh, about a year before our first was born. I was doing ultra running for a handful yeah. of years. And then I kind of wanted to get back into like cross training and weightlifting. And I did CrossFit up until when COVID hit and we canceled our gym memberships and have re-looped back into running more often. And it's been really great. Really, you know, my husband's a runner too. So yeah. we we traded off and, you know, um, he was just out on the trails on Saturday morning. And so it's just that like in being supportive with each other. So yes, I still run, love running and, uh, it's about three to five miles. So I'm kind of back where I started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a long way around. It all comes back, back in the end. I figured you, you weren't still a CrossFitter, Ashley, because you know how you can tell if someone's a CrossFitter. They tell you right away. Exactly. <laughs> you want to start this interview with, hi, Ryan, I'm Ashley and I'm a CrossFitter. <laughs> I will say I do love the sport. I will probably go back to it once once it makes more sense. And we'll all know because you will make that perfect. I'll clear. tell. I'll put a post out. <laughs> I'll pin it at the top of my Twitter feed. Ashley, Ashley Snyder, CrossFitter. And then below <laughs> it'll say founder of, of MS Run the US, which is a great organization. I can tell you that uh, my father-in-law had MS. And I know okay. that that was quite a quite a struggle for him to to deal with that uh, in his life. And so it's great to see a, a good cause and two things coming together. You know, yeah. seeing your mom battle that and then turning that into what you have. That's good stuff, Ashley. Yeah, thank you. It's a it's a positive, epic place to put that pain. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 